there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple that like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. (laughs) (laughs) That we do. Jesus Christ. Every time I feel like the movies gets longer. (laughs) We're doing another Disney review, guys. Ah, yes. Very exciting. We are still in the transitional period of Disney animation, which means we are creeping up upon the much-beloved Renaissance. However, unlike the last Disney episode, which was Robin Hood, this movie takes place in the 80s. And oh, how 80s this movie is. Oh, yes, it is. Scott, what are we watching today? We are watching Oliver and Company. Released in 1988. And I've always had a soft spot for this movie. Me too, because puppies. Because puppies and because... Billy Joel. Thank you. (laughs) As some of you guys, I'm sure, know, if you've listened to our show for a while, we are from New York, specifically Long Island, even more specifically Hicksville, New York. The birthplace of Billy Joel. That is the birthplace of Billy Joel. He actually went to our high school, and the people that live in Hicksville never let you forget it, that Billy Joel went to school there, even though he doesn't claim Hicksville at all. He just says he went to school in Oyster Bay, which is not a lie, but (laughs) it's not not the same. He still technically technically. lives in Oyster Bay as well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we do have a soft spot for this movie because of that as well, which is why we specifically were like, okay, one of our transitional era movies has to be Oliver and Company. <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, we're a little laid back. Yes, indeed. This is uh, apparently, according to the tagline for this movie, this is the first Disney movie with attitude. <laughs> because 80s, you know? Of course. We love that. Yeah, this is one of the Disney movies I had on a big clamshell growing up and would watch a lot. I had it too. I would say the film itself is pretty basic, but the music fucking slaps. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what kind of takes it over the edge for me. Although we did watch this around the time that we went to go see Guardians 3 in the theater. So there was a lot of emphasis on shit that animals go through is <laughs> a little heartstring pulling maybe more than usual because of that but i'm sure you're asking frankie oh disney expert frankie sparks if oliver and company is so slaptastic why is it in the transitional period why did it not kick off our renaissance era and that is because unfortunately this movie while it made a profit technically it did not do well with the critics it's got like a 54 percent rotten tomato score and uh the reason that it maybe didn't make as much money as they were hoping for is because oliver and company was released on the exact same day as another pretty iconic children's film scott do you want to guess what movie i'm talking about it's not disney obviously yeah because they won. It is perhaps a Don Bluth picture that came out around this time that oh. was very huge. Is it Roger Rabbit? No, that's not Don Bluth, you fool. Sorry. I... That's Disney. Continue. Oh. Is that Disney? Jesus. It is. Oh, God. Um, I don't know. The I... Land Before Time. Oh. Which I never really watched as a kid ever. I was very much a Disney loyalist growing up, for the most part, anyway. So, uh, (laughs) Oliver and Company had some stiff competition at this time. Well, right after this, we do jump into that period with Little Mermaid, right? Well, yeah, that's what kicks off the Renaissance and the year after this. It's funny because when you look at those two movies, just in my mind, you can see the difference. Oh, yeah, sure. This still, while looking cleaner than Robin Hood did. Mm Mm-hmm. Is still a little scratchy and still a little rough around the edges. Right. No, I would agree. Little Mermaid cleans its act up. But I think with this movie, it does it for a purpose because New York City. It takes place in New York City. It's very rough and tumble, you know. It's got some scratchy lines and, you know, 
fuckery. We're going to talk about it. And I might use my exaggerated New York accent as we go through this episode. It's fine. Don't judge me. Anyway. She also might jump into a random British accent because this is based off Oliver. It is. It's based off the 1838 novel Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. Uh, There's actually another musical adaptation of Oliver Twist called Oliver! Exclamation point. It was on Broadway in the 60s. Got nominated for a bunch of Tonys. The film adaptation of that won Best Picture in like 68... 69 something like that so yeah it's it's there's a lot going on (laughs) who knew the sad little orphan boy would cause such a stir in pop culture but this movie was directed by a man named george scribner who was an animator in the 80s he worked on smurfs tv shows and transformers as well as a bit of a dud of a disney film by the name of black cauldron We don't like to talk about Black Cauldron, (laughs) just like we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Black Cauldron. (laughs) Until it gets a remake sometime in the near future. Oh, God, probably, yeah. I think it is, isn't it? I think that just got announced recently. Oh, jeez. Anyway, well, you (laughs) fuck me. Well, you got to look at it this way. Movies that have potential but fail their potential should be the ones that have remakes. That's true. That's a good concept or a solid concept for a movie it's just like a fantasy film essentially it's king arthur basically yeah well no sword and stone oh no it's uh is king arthur which is also a failed disney movie (laughs) oh god anyway eh, be grateful we didn't do any of those movies on this show it would have been a snore fest anyway the script was written by jim cox who was a writer on another Disney movie called Rescuers Down Under. Ah. And he also wrote Fern Gully. Ah. Uh, and so you wrote was... Avatar. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, it was also co-written by James Mangold, oddly enough, who wrote and directed the new Indiana Jones movie along with several other... Yeah, James Mangold's definitely made a name for himself Pretty in the popular past. films, yeah. He had Logan. Right. He... Walk the Line, which yeah. is a movie I have to show you. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of good things here. I, I feel like on this series, it's easy to... Talk about the great movies. Right. Well, I think that's the issue we're going to have when we reach the Renaissance. Because there are so many good things to talk about in the Disney Renaissance. But I, I think we'll have to figure something out where we pick movies that maybe are a little underrated and no one expects... Or normally talks about like it'd be kind of boring if we just you know let's say we pick like lion king which is arguably like the best disney movie of all time and we just talk about how fucking awesome it is for an hour and a half it's like okay yeah we know that you're not telling us anything new exactly you gotta kind of mix it up when you talk about something as iconic as disney animation right but that's why i'm excited to talk about this because i feel like this movie's overlooked a lot because it's just like, oh, it's cute puppies. How fun. But like, there's a little more to it than that, I think. I think it's a good adaptation of the source material. Indeed, indeed. How, how did you feel about this rewatching it after so many years? Were you excited? Were you worried that you weren't going to like it as much? I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen this movie in quite a long time. The only thing I really remembered well from this movie a is billy joel the dog and b the iconic song of why should i worry oh you think that's the only iconic song scott (laughs) you fool anyway uh let's jump right into this thing so uh are you ready to get into the nitty-gritty scott yes let us catch cab and head downtown oh boy speaking of great songs in this movie we start off with a motherfucking bop Uh, right off the bat, with Once Upon a Time in New York City. And uh, it's basically just introducing us to our our vibe of the movie. We're setting the tone. We open up on New York City. And no one wants an orange cat. Yeah, we we see a, a cardboard box in the street filled with little kitties for sale. And there's many different colored kitties, and they're all getting picked out except for this one little orange kitty cat who is soon to be our Oliver in this scenario. He is voiced by a young Joey Lawrence, 
who was 12 years old at the film's release, but he's known for the show Blossom in the 90s. He had like that show with Melissa Joan Hart in the 2010s, and he and his hair plugs starred uh, very prominently in the movie Money Plane, I think, which came out like, what, a couple years ago now? Yeah. It's, it, he's just an A-list actor. Um, <laughs> Taking <laughs> shots at Joey Lawrence. Well, I'm sorry. He and his hair plugs need to take a seat somewhere on the money plane um <laughs> but he's cute in this movie because he's a little 12 year old kid you know this is the second episode in about a month and a half that we've talked about money plane oh that's true because we talked about money plane on the longest yard right because yes. it stars a, a wrestler a wrestler guy yeah oh geez oh money plane if only I had enough wherewithal to actually sit down and watch you no you don't you don't wish that I don't I mean but yeah we get the opening song, Once Upon a Time in New York City. And one thing that really grinds my gears, says Peter Griffin, is that this song is not available on Spotify. I know, because I've fucking looked at, like a million times and it's never there. They don't have it, which is a bummer. But yeah, it's sung by the 80s icon Huey Lewis, co-written by Howard Ashman of the infamous duo Ashman and Mankin, who are behind some of our greatest Renaissance Disney songs. This was actually Howard Ashman's first Disney song ever. It's 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 such a fucking underrated bop, and it sets the tone perfectly of, like, this sad little kitty cat trying to make it in the world. Keep your dream alive. Dreaming is still have a strong survive. Once upon a time, New York City. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Oh, yeah. That's a different song, Scott, but you're on the right track. In the beginning of this movie, little Oliver's journey, he's, you know, stuck in this little cardboard box all by himself. He's the last kitty in the box, and he's stuck there in the nighttime in New York City, which is not the greatest place to be, and he's caught in the rain and almost fucking drowns, and you're like, oh, my God. Uh, uh, but, of course, you know, he's a ginger cat, so nobody wants him. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's no way that any kitty, especially when the sign goes to free, that no one's picking up this cat. But I know, like that's crazy to me. So New York, as it's always been portrayed, as we talked about many times before, is either oh gorgeous or rough, grungy and grimy. Yeah, and this is another version of grungy and grimy, but with an air of. Ah. New York City charm, which is how it is in most movies, I feel like. They, you know, they put an air of charm in there to, you know, appeal to the people. Ah, this is the concrete jungle where dreams are made of. (laughs) How many New York songs can we reference here? Oh, God. But after uh, Oliver escapes near death in the mean streets of New York, we get to the next morning where we encounter the hot dog guy who is just every quintessential New Yorker fucking stereotype you've ever heard of in your life. They put in this fucking hot dog guy. <laughs> yeah, the only thing he's missing is, hey, I'm walking here. Yeah, literally. But he's actually voiced by Frank Welker, fun fact. Uh, he also did like random animal sounds throughout the movie, but he's like an infamous voice actor. He's got like over 900 credits, most known as voicing Fred and Scooby in the Scooby-Doo franchise, ah. but he's also done other Disney roles. Basically, any Disney animal you can think of that doesn't speak is Frank Welker. <laughs> it's either him or uh, Alan Tudyk. Oh, yeah. Now, Alan Tudyk is the new Frank Welker of Disney. Yeah, for sure. But little Oliver uh, is a little hungry, and he's trying to get this hot dog guy's attention, but to no avail. And he is noticed by cool doggo extraordinaire dodger he is quite the little mutt and he is voiced both in singing and just regular voice acting by fucking billy joel (laughs) six-time grammy winning artist (laughs) billy joel voices a fucking cartoon dog for some reason in 1988 (laughs) and you know what hey this isn't a bad role for him it's you know well, yeah, I mean, it, it really just requires him to be a cool guy, which Billy Joel already kind of is. So it's like, oh, OK, just be that. But a dog. So, yeah, Dodger approaches little Oliver and is like, hey, we can help each other, kid. I'll help you get those hot dogs. And 
Dodger and Oliver work together to steal the hot dogs from the evil hot dog man. And then Dodger promptly ditches him <laughs> with all the hot dogs in tow. And it leads into what Scott was referring to as like the ultimate bop of this movie, which I would actually agree, called Why Should I Worry? <laughs> Dodgers dancing around, jumping from like cranes and pillars and on cars. Yeah. By the way, dogs fucking rule this world, basically. Uh, yeah. They really just travel by car roof <laughs> quite frequently. They That's al- their mode of transportation. They also get into packs and stop traffic in the middle of Manhattan. Indeed, for like choreographed dance numbers. It's really funny. But, um. Though, I have to ask. When you saw Dodger when you were younger, Mm-mm. did you not want a dog that looked just like Dodger? Oh, of course. Yeah. Like, I was like, I want Dodger. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because he looked, he just looked so cute. And he was like the cutest little mutt. He had white with brown spots and he had his cute little red bandana and he had sunglasses on. He was so fucking cool. Why should I worry? Why, Why should I, I care? I may not have a dime. But I got street savoir faire. Yeah, it's definitely a, a great fucking song. The fact that it wasn't nominated for anything, none of the songs in this movie were nominated for anything, is uh, insane to me. But I guess that shows that the movie really didn't do that well. <laughs> one thing they wrote down that was really funny because he has like a Dodger has like a really funny one-liner. Oliver's like, "Hey, you can't steal all my hot dogs. You're not being fair." <laughs> Dodger just goes, Fizz of a tourist, kid. It's like the <laughs> it's like the most New Yorky answer. <laughs> Fizz of a tourist, kid. Fuck off. It is kind of funny. Cause the characters are a little ridiculous. Oh yeah, well we'll get to that because uh Dodger proceeds to go back to his home of sorts with all of his fellow vagabond doggy friends. And yeah, they all have their little quirks. There's the dumb one and the crazy one and the, you know, overdramatic serious one and the girl one. <laughs> this is this, the girl. Just the girl one. Um, but yeah, Oliver follows him back to his little lair and we meet all of the other pups in this little doggy gang. So I guess most notably would be Tito, who is a chihuahua. And he's voiced by Cheech Marin. <laughs> the voice cast for this movie is pretty dope. Yeah, I think Cheech at this point in his career is trying to get away from the Cheech and Chong. Yeah, I mean, this is 10 years after Up in Smoke. So, yeah, after this, he was one of the hyenas in Lion King. I think he was in Spy Kids, too. He was in Spy Kids. Uh, Yeah, so he kind of took a, a turn in his career, I would say. But then we have, let's see, we have the dumb one named Einstein. Get it? It's just yeah. His name's Einstein. He's played by Richard Mulligan, and he is a great Dane, I believe. Uh, we have Francis, who is the dramatic one. He's very serious, and he's got an accent. Hey, Frankie. That's what I, I always remember connecting with that as a kid because as a child, people would ask me if my name was short for something or if it was Francine or Francis or anything like that. And I just, I, I connected with Francis in this movie because he's like, My name is Francis. Francis. Not Frank. Not Frankie. Francis. No kidding, man. I feel you. I feel your pain. But he's voiced by Roscoe Lee Brown. And he is our classy... Yeah, he's a narrator in several movies. Let's put it that way. He's got a narrator's voice. (laughs) Yeah, he's our classy bulldog. Yes. Funnily enough, though, I think Patrick Stewart was considered for that voice role, who also has a very booming voice. Yeah, but he was too busy doing um, Star Trek Next Generation, so he couldn't commit to it. Um, let's see. I think our last one in this little gang here is Rita. You know, the girl one. I always loved Rita. She was a sassy bitch. Uh, she was voiced by Cheryl Lee Ralph, who is an iconic actress, but I think more recently has finally kind of got her, her due. She recently won an Emmy for her performance in Abbott Elementary, 
But uh, I'll always remember her as uh, Lauren Hill's mom in Sister Act 2. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, such an iconic role. But apparently Whitney Houston was also considered for the role, which makes sense because Whitney. And it also would have saved some time because for some reason, Charlie Ralph didn't sing for Rita. Her singing role was replaced with one of the Pointer sisters, which is fine. But she does have a song, and it's glaringly obvious that Shirley Ralph is not singing it. <laughs> I feel like with other voice actors that dub their singing role with somebody else, it's at least somewhat cohesive. Seamless. Yeah. This is not. Not at all. Even a little bit. But um, I guess you can't pass up one of the Pointer Sisters being in your movie. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> so after we meet all of our pups, Oliver kind of crashes through the roof and shows up in the middle of everything and he's like yeah dodger stole my hot dogs fuck that guy and (laughs) right after oliver is introduced to all these dogs we meet uh fagin who is the kind of human leader of this doggy group essentially he's just a homeless vagabond guy who is just constantly trying to penny pinch and scam and just you know make a quick buck anywhere he can well yeah he has all these dogs so the his point of his dog gang is for them to go pickpocket correct and steal whatever they can yes and bring it back to him so like he can oliver sell it to like pawn shops and stuff but the issue with Fakin's plan here dogs do not understand they do in this movie scott they collect trash for most of this except when they try to steal a car radio but yes the the plot essentially is like oliver twist where fagin is the leader of this group and he sends all of his little doggy children out to pickpocket for him so he can make a quick buck here and there because clearly this guy's got gambling problems because we find out very soon that he is in debt to a big time gangster in New York, because you know we're in New York, and there are gangsters everywhere, mafia, right? Yes. So uh, we meet Fagan, who I-, I would assume, like in a normal presentation of the situation, he would be seen as not a great guy. But because he has all these dogs that he takes care of and genuinely loves, he's a more sympathetic, you know, oh, oh, that Fagan yeah. type character. Well, it's the thing is, like, he, he has a gambling problem that we kind of see throughout the movie. Indeed. But yeah, you do feel bad for him because you're like, this guy doesn't seem like a bad guy. He just seems like a bad gambler. Right. Uh, (laughs) For sure. He's voiced by Dom DeLuise, who we haven't talked about him in a long, 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 long time because our first ever episode of Shoot the Flick was on the Muppet movie and he had a cameo in there. He also was in History of the World Part 1, which is one of our earliest episodes. Uh, but he's actually been a voice actor in a lot of Don Bluth movies, uh, including American Tale and All Dogs Go to Heaven. But he actually turned down a role in Land Before Time to do this movie. But yeah, he's he's great. He's got one of those recognizable voices. Yeah. I think if you were a person who knew Fagin, Fagin is a guy clearly crying out for help. Right. For sure. But we quickly meet... The big-time gangster and villain of this movie, Sykes. And uh, just so the dogs can also have an enemy or two in this film, Sykes happens to have two very purebred and nasty fucking Dobermans that come in to antagonize the dog gang. So, knowing the Oliver story, Sykes is a scary person, especially in the original movie. Yes, of course. Sykes is very scary. I feel like this is kind of where this movie falters a little bit. Explain. Because the dogs are scary. The two Dobermans are kind of scary. But I feel like Sykes... I don't feel like he ever comes off as scary as the original Sykes does. Well, yeah, but I think... Like, we see that Fagin is scared of him. Right. But, like, I, I, I just feel like we never get something that makes us scared of him well to be fair you can't have like a full-on real life mob boss in a disney movie like he talks on the phone at one point in this movie about beating people up and killing them it's like slightly alluded to but it's never like he never says just kill him you know what i mean so it's like you you have to be careful i guess with that 
it just makes him feel a little hollow, in my opinion. I, I, I would agree with that. I also think that the attempt was to make him more, like, cold and emotionless. I also think because we have the dogs, mm-hmm. because the story is mainly about the animals and not right, the people. Right, yeah, we don't necessarily need the human villain to be as crazy till the very end when he's like crazy yeah i get what you're saying yeah i mean it's not like the best villain in disney history let's be real i mean there are a lot of really menacing disney villains out there and sykes wouldn't even chart probably in the top 10 or 20 yeah Um, he probably he he would be like a middle of the pack lower end guy yeah i would agree with that uh, even though in the reality of the situation, he is pretty frightening. But I think in relation to other Disney villains, it's like it, he's definitely more mid. But uh, Sykes is voiced by Robert Loja, uh, who did Big the same year as this movie, which we did a review on earlier in the year. Two very different roles. Yes, two very, 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 very different roles. But apparently the Godfather himself... Turned down the role. They wanted Marlon Brando to do it, which would have made sense g- given that he's a mobster, clearly, in the movie. Yeah, but... It would have been kind of funny. But yeah, he turned it down. <laughs> well, yeah, but, Mar- <laughs> but Marlon Brando... Hey, this this budget would have gone up a lot with Brando. And it's- I mean, yeah, probably... I don't know. Brando, who's like one of the biggest names in the 80s. In the, well, like yeah, 70s, Billy 80s. Joel did the movie, though. Yeah, but Billy Joel, is this is his first like act, and only, to my knowledge, acting role. I guess, but I i mean, I don't know. I, I think actors, maybe not now because all celebrities do like some kind of acting, animated acting role now. I feel like a lot of celebrities do that just for like the name notoriety of it. But I feel like at that time... Well, yeah, you didn't get big name stars to do voice acting yeah, roles. Yeah, you really, the big, the first real like instance of that was Robin Williams as Aladdin. Yeah, and, and he, even then he didn't want his name in the movie at all, but they just went against that because they're like, no, it's Robin Williams. We're going to fucking sell the shit out of you, Robin Williams. <laughs> so I think there was a different expectation in animation back then that like it's not as lucrative of a acting role as live action. But anyway, we realized that, again, Sykes is owed a lot of money from Fagan and he gives... Fagin three days to give him his money and if he doesn't get his money then things are gonna go very bad there, there is a funny running gag here with Fagin and Sykes that every time like Fagin gets anywhere near Sykes car he breaks his mirror oh yeah that's funny <laughs> and then later on he goes to his office and there's a like model like a, a smaller scale model of his fancy ass car and he breaks the little <laughs> mirror the side mirror off of that that is a funny little running gag but uh, meanwhile, back in with the dogs, Sykes' two Dobermans by the name of Roscoe and DeSoto are just generally intimidating the pups. And then DeSoto catches a whiff of a little kitty cat hiding in the corner and uh, Oliver scratches DeSoto's nose and the dogs immediately defend Oliver and um, Oliver definitely earns their respect after standing up to DeSoto. The Dobermans leave, and Fagin is generally kind of just freaking the fuck out because he's like, I have three days to give this guy, and I don't think they say how much money. No, but... But it's presumably a shit ton of money. It's enough money that... (laughs) That the mob boss is upset. (laughs) It's enough money that the mob boss is upset, and enough money that Fagin, not having an actual job, is scared that he can't come up with. Right, yeah. But yeah, I I really enjoy the dynamic of the doggy gang with Oliver. Like, they just all love Fagin so much. And it's just this, uh, you know, band of misfits. I You know, I'm always sweet on a band of misfits. Well, yeah. Found family, that whole type of thing. Well, yeah. Fagin clearly accepts all these dogs and their quirky personalities. And it kind of actually does remind me a little of like young guns with them too. Oh jeez, like, young guns. It, it's all these different characters who kind of get brought together by, of course, the, oh, he isn't our wise old man, but our benefactor per right. se. I get you. We also get some indication that Dodger is particularly sweet on Oliver. Cause Oliver kind of like cozies up to him when they all go to bed and it's just really cute. 
because you kind of see a sort of almost fatherly role that Dodger is sort of taking with Oliver, and it's very, very cute. They, they make a point to cut to Rita's reaction to them cuddling up together like, ah, uh, that, that's, that's my man. So, so paternal. How hot. I also think it's more like, because Dodger always plays the cool guy. Oh, and, yeah. And Dodger, Ab- absolutely. And he's always been like, when he first comes in before Oliver busts in the door, he's like bragging like, he, oh, I did all this to get oh, these yeah. hot dogs. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, I did all this. And then Oliver comes like, no, I did that. <laughs> and then and then they turn to Dodger and he just has his sunglasses on just staring at the TV, which is all staticky. And he's like, I'm trying to watch the game. Excuse me. <laughs> it's yeah. So I, I always think that look is more. She's like, oh, this is actually what the real Dodger is. Yeah. I say that because it's not necessarily a new concept of like, you know the cool guy who doesn't give a fuck about anything but a kid comes along and he kind of takes a liking to the kid like that's not a new concept i guess but oliver and company that's why i say is a very simple movie a simple concept that is enhanced by certain vocal performances certain songs things like that but uh at the end of the day it, it is a fairly simple film but we have to steal some shit oh yes the next morning we go out into the world and fagin's like go out there and get me some money (laughs) so we get this elaborate plan to steal this radio from this limousine ah but scott first we have to talk about the next song oh streets of gold oh that's right sorry i forgot about how dare you forget about streets of gold that i think is another fucking slapper of a song saying as i mentioned before by ruth pointer i feel like that's probably well i feel like it's a fight between once upon a time in new york city and this song streets of gold as to which one's the most underrated it is definitely a good song basically it's just all the dogs showing oliver the ways of the new york city streets it's a concrete jungle where dreams are made of (laughs) if you can make it there (laughs) you can make it anywhere i want want to be be (laughs) i mean you know it's funny because like being removed from new york for almost a year now you don't realize when you don't live in new york that like so many movies and media is set in new york both all to varying levels of accuracy but when you move to a different state particularly a more southern state you kind of realize as you talk to people people have certain um uh thoughts of what new yorkers are like oh yeah (laughs) And what New Yorkers do and, and what New York is. And it's like some of it's right, I guess, but some of it's not. <laughs> well, and a lot of it's based off media. and Right, exactly. Like, for the most part, murder mysteries and like procedural dramas all take place in New York. Pretty much. And it's just like, oh, all these people must die in New York. Even this movie was originally going to be a lot darker. Like, originally the opening of the movie... You know, where we have Once Upon a Time in New York City and Oliver's like swimming through the fucking rainwater, almost fucking drowning as if that's not dark enough. Originally, I think the plan was to have Oliver's siblings and parents fucking killed by the Dobermans. Sykes' Ah. Dobermans. And then the whole movie's a revenge story, like fucking Kill Bill, but with little cartoon animals and it's like holy shit oh <laughs> I my think, god i'm like okay clearly you changed that for a reason yeah because that's a little insane that's a little much <laughs> like just have the whole family fucking slaughtered but yeah it, new york's not all bad you guys don't don't be afraid <laughs> it, it's, it's all right it's just another big city it's just it's like right it's just like los angeles and chicago you've and... never been to either of those places how the fuck do you know because <laughs> that's just what it is oh jeez. So yeah, we get Streets of Gold, and then we get uh, all the doggies formulating this evil plot to steal a car radio from a fucking huge fancy car. Yes, and we cut inside the car where we meet our final main character. Ah yes, Jenny, our little human girl. And her butler. Indeed, indeed, because of course she's a little rich girl in New York City, so she has to have a butler. And her parents are shit. 
Yeah, the, we introduce Jenny as she reads a letter from her parents who are clearly not there, obviously. And they're telling her that they won't make it back to New York in time for her birthday. And she's pro- like, she looks like eight or nine years old, maybe. And it's like, oh, it's just really sad. And then um, all of a sudden, oh, it seems that the butler has hit a dog with his car. Oh, Francis. Oh, he's been hit by a car. Oh, the tragedy of it all. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the plan. We pretend to get hit by a car and then uh, Tito along with Oliver sneak into the car and Tito's trying to unplug the fucking car radio. <laughs> And then he gets shocked and shot out of the cannon. Yes, which, you know, cartoon logic would kill the fucking dog. It's a fucking tiny little chihuahua. But okay, sure, he's just a little covered in soot. Yeah, that, that would happen, sure. And Oliver is left to be uh, basically adopted by Jenny. Yeah. She calls him Oliver. That's like where he officially gets his name. And what I find funny about the preceding sequence is like we basically got Oliver bonding with Jenny and all of this happens in a day. Because mind you, we've set the ticking clock for the movie, right? Three days. So everything in the movie happens in at least three days, if not less than that. So they just have a full day of Jenny and Oliver bonding and she buys him supplies she buys him a fancy shiny collar they have piano lessons together because they sing a song and <laughs> which is like the only kind of ugh, song in the movie whatever it's fine but yeah they just do a lot in one day and they're best of friends <laughs> but oliver's not the only animal in jenny's <gasps> life oh my god i'm so happy <laughs> We're about to meet Bette Midler, guys. Bette Midler Poodle. <laughs> Let's fucking go. There is a poodle. Uh, An award-winning poodle. Oh, she's got blue ribbons out the asshole, bitch. Her name is Georgette. And as I said, she's voiced by the great Bette Midler, the iconic queen herself. Actually, she did a movie called Beaches the same year as this, which is like super melodramatic it's one of those like schmaltzy i'm gonna cry my eyes out type of movies but most importantly guys don't even worry about that there's this little movie called hocus pocus ah that she did five years after this movie that we talked about actually on our show it's it's iconic it's amazing you should watch it and you should listen to our review yes because bet midler is queen but yeah georgette is a poodle and because we have bet midler in this fucking movie you know we're getting a song you fucking know we're getting a song it's called perfect isn't easy and it's a fucking diva ass bop okay the diva is of diva bops pretty is nice but still it's just pretty basically sings about how hot she is and how all the male dogs want to fucking hump the shit out of her she has an iconic line when she meets oliver she's like who the fuck is this little rat ginger fuck that's in my house and she she says you may think this is jenny's house but everything from the doorknobs down is mine because dog get it because she's she only reaches the doorknobs exactly it's a funny little clever line and Bette Midler delivers it with class and beauty. But our other dogs don't know that Oliver is having a good time. So we must rescue Oliver. Yeah. I, well, another thing I love about this movie is like the little one-liners throughout that are so like memorable that I still like can quote to this day. All the dogs somehow trick the butler into getting locked out of the house so they can go into the house to get Oliver. And they're just admiring all the rich people shit because this is a fucking mansion, you know? In New York City. Which, again, is like a great depiction of New York City because it's like, oh, we get the grungy, gross, dirty version of New York City. And then we get the, oh, these are all the rich people uptown. Ooh, fancy, fancy. In their fancy brownstones. Exactly. So all the orphan dogs are, you know, checking out this fancy schmancy Daddy Warbucks house. And at one point, Tito... (laughs) 
<laughs> takes a cigar and just starts smoking a cigar in the fucking people's living room because why not? And he goes, hey, man, if this is torture, chain me to the wall. <laughs> I just really can remember that because it not only was like a memorable line in the movie, but it was in the trailer as well for this movie. I remember the fucking trailer for this movie, okay? <laughs> it's so good. And then Georgette helps them rescue Oliver because, you know, she's sick of this fucking ginger cunt. And they just throw him in a fucking pillowcase and leave. Tito, you know, gives Georgette a little kiss goodbye because he's got the hots for her. And then uh, off they go back to Fagan. Yes. And once they get back to Fagan, Oliver's like, I was happy. I was sleeping on the bed. Yeah, it's kind of sad. And, like, Dodger gets offended. She's like, you're you're a part of the gang. You're family. I'm going to fucking cut you. No, I'm kidding. Fagan picks up the cat, goes, you have a collar. Rich people would want you back. We're going to ransom you. Right. And he writes out a ransom note, quote unquote, that looks as if it was written by a first grader. So clearly this guy is not only a vagabond and a bad gambler, but he also is clearly not very well educated. So, I mean, just I guess it's just more of a reason to feel bad for the guy. But I, I do feel like maybe part of the reason why people don't connect with this movie as well as some other ones is because it does feel rushed oh yeah for sure and like listen none of these disney movies especially the earlier ones have particularly long run times right so i get that they probably all feel rushed to a certain degree because we have to keep little children's attention but i feel like this one in particular, maybe because it relies a lot on the interconnecting relationships between all these animals, you don't necessarily, at least as an adult, you don't necessarily feel the strength of those connections as much as you want to because everything feels a little rushed. There also feels like there's a character or two too many. Yeah, like maybe we could have cut out one or two of the other doggos even just one i feel like would have helped like if you cut out einstein because really his only purpose in the movie is to be the dumb one and make like dumb remarks once in a while which are cute and funny but like we don't need it we'll just you know take him out potentially and like put in some more relationshipy bonding stuff between like the dogs or maybe between fagin and the dogs and you feel you'd feel a little better Indeed. So Fagin does decide to ransom Oliver and he drops this little note of his through the mail slot at Jenny's house. And Jenny, receiving this note, doesn't take it to an adult, i.e. the butler, that is taking care of her. She doesn't call the police. She just decides that she's going to take Georgette... As for what reason, I don't know. I mean, in the movie, I understand because it's funny to see Georgette, who's very primped and proper and prissy in like a raincoat in misery on the docks at midnight or whatever. Like, that's kind of funny. But just logically, like, why would you do that, Jenny? Jenny's going to get human trafficked. Uh, Yeah. I mean, essentially, that's kind of what happens. Um, (laughs) Almost. Anyway, but... Yeah, Jenny goes down to the docks to meet with the kidnapper. And before that, Fagin actually goes to Sykes to let him know what's going on and what the plan is to get money from these rich people for their cat. They have a thing in the office where DeSoto and fucking Roscoe, the Dobermans, just like fucking beat up Dodger. And I'm like, I I felt I remember even as a kid just being like, oh, my God, when he just like falls to the floor and plops down. Felt so, I was like, oh, God, because you feel so bad for Dodger when Oliver in earlier in the movie is like, oh, I don't you know, I, I like you guys, but like I have a family. I have a human girl that loves me and da, 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 and you can tell he's hurt by that. And Oliver's hurt that he's hurt. And it's just really sad. And then right after that, he gets beat to shit by these Dobermans and you're like, Oh, God, come on. Like, give the guy a break. Yeah, Dodge is having a bad day. I feel bad. Fagin goes to the dock to meet with the rich people. And when he finds out it's a little girl, he is racked with guilt. <laughs> Rightfully so. And he's like, um, 
oh, you brought your piggy bank, little girl? Okay, um, well, hold on a second. I think I see a cat over there. I hear meowing. Oh, look, a cat. Here you go. He literally and gives froze. back the cat. He literally froze Oliver into a box. Oh, my God, it was so funny. He's just like, look. oh, look, I found a cat. <laughs> oh, my God, it's so bad. But, yeah, he proceeds to get fucking chased down or run over almost by Sykes and then Sykes decides that he's gonna just fuck fucking Fagin he's like our account is closed I'm kidnapping this child and I'm gonna ransom the fucking kid so have a nice night toodaloo and Fagin you know this thankfully he is painted as a good guy in this movie He's like, uh, you know, give Ooh. the girl back. <laughs> what the fuck? And he, he and the dogs and Oliver go chasing after to go rescue Jenny. Yes. But yeah, I, I feel like even though Sykes is a mobster, right? And clearly a violent one based on all the evidence that was presented up to this point. It still seems like a, a very large escalation <laughs> To kidnap to this from, girl. To go from, we're going to, you know, we're going to wait for ransom money for a little orange tabby kitten to, I'm going to kidnap this child and hold her for ransom and I'm going to tie her to a chair and have her stalked by my Dobermans. Like, it just seems like a very large escalation. Yeah, it definitely is an escalation, at least from what we've seen of him. Is this out of the ordinary for a mobster? Because I don't know if he's a mob boss. but It seems like he is. He's advising on the phone in his office what seemingly is an underling on how to torture someone to get information. So it seems like he's got some real power. Also, he just blatantly kidnaps this girl and doesn't second guess it at all. He's just like, I'm going to kidnap this kid and I'm going to get the money my way and everything's going to be fine. So I think he's very used to you know, doing illegal things and having a lot of power and not being questioned. However, I I do also think that as a kid watching this movie, it didn't track to me the severity of his mobsterness. It just seemed like a guy in a suit and he decided he was going to kidnap this kid for some reason. Yeah, I can see that. Because, yeah, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I don't really understand the mafia. Right. (laughs) Immediately, Dodger is like, I'm going to help Oliver get Jenny back. And they kind of like make up and are okay again. And that makes me happy. But they they go after Jenny, along with Georgette, who is a fucking mess. Um, <laughs> but the method in which they save this child is very unlikely and implausible. But Disney magic... <laughs> Yeah, Tito has to shock himself again, because Tito just eats electricity. I guess, sure. He's the fucking Flash, but in a chihuahua now. Okay. There's train cars, there's... These dogs trick a grown man into getting locked out of his own office. They rescue Jenny as she's tied to a chair by, like, hooking the chair up to a pulley of some sort and like get pulling her out of the building and away it's so very confusing but then of course you know a chase ensues because of course and the i would say the most implausible thing about the chase is the fact that fagin does show up to kind of save the dogs and jenny at the last second as they're about to get captured by sykes and he puts them on his like little motorbike And he goes into the subway. Now, most normal people driving in a car, as Sykes is when he's chasing them, would think, oh, well, they've gotten into the subway. Let me get out of my car and chase them into the subway. Nope. (laughs) No, no, no. Nope. Uh, He decides he's going to drive his car into the subway, which is not a thing you can do, I don't think. No, because there's usually a railing there. No, not 
a thing you can do. I mean, maybe in the eighties there was no railing there. But even but I don't even think that's true. <laughs> but even if there wasn't the railing, and he so he drives you down, you wouldn't be able to fit a full ass car in the subway. But even that, even, let's, let's ignore that fact. Oh, okay. It seems like a pretty big fact to ignore. But, but we're, okay. gonna, we're gonna ignore that. Sure. Fact. Let's all hold hands you know, here on the subway. <laughs> you know what becomes the even more implausible is the car jumping onto oh the God. train tracks. Onto the subway track. And the tires breaking oh on, and God. the car can drive on the train tracks. Oh, my God. It's so bad. That's it's not so how bad. this works. It's terrible. It's so bad. Imagine, like, the guys from the Warriors. You know, What was the, the fucking Michael Beck and that chick are yeah. in the fucking subway tunnel and the Warriors just, like, trying to fake flirt with each other and then a fucking huge-ass car comes in the tunnel you know, chasing a bunch of dogs in a motorbike? Yeah, and they, they, they turn to each other and go, that was weird. All right. <laughs> so there's a weird subway slash car chase. Sykes at one point grabs Jenny... Oliver bites Sykes and then he gets thrown back into the car and then Dodger chases after Oliver. They kill the fucking Dobermans. They fucking fall into the train tracks and fucking get electrocuted and die. And then Fagan saves Jenny and then Dodger saves Oliver, maybe. And then we get another Disney death, shockingly. And then Sykes gets hit by a train. As you do. As you do when you're a mob boss in New York City and you drive your car into the subway to chase a guy that owes you money, you get hit by a train and you die fantastically. (laughs) I mean, I would say that's one of the weirdest villain deaths ever. Yeah, probably. Not the most memorable, not the coolest by any stretch, but definitely one of the weirdest ones. Death by subway. It's peculiar, but you know Sykes made as much impact alive as he did dead because we move straight on from this. No trauma at all for this little girl. No, no, no. Nope. She's doing just fine. She grabs Oliver from Dodger, and Oliver is pretty lifeless. They believe he, he's dead, and Jenny, of course, holds him. And of course, they're not gonna kill this little baby kitty. Of course not. Oliver's alive. Uh, Disney death at its finest. And eventually... They all go back to Jenny's house to celebrate. Yes. And we get a happy ending, of course, because after an insurmountable amount of almost murder and trauma, Mm -hmm. we're just going to have a happy ending at Jenny's birthday party and her fucking parents still aren't here. (laughs) Even though they were called about her kidnapping. Right. Because Sykes does call them and tell them, I have your daughter. But they still don't feel that it's appropriate for them to come back right away. They're still away and they have the birthday party with a bunch of stray dogs, a homeless guy, and the butler. Definitely earning their way on some of the worst parent lists in movies. Like, and they don't even show up on screen. I mean, that's pretty impressive. But then, yeah, the butler gets a call towards the end of the movie that like, oh, you're coming home early. You're coming home to, oh, she'll be so surprised and you'll be so happy. And it's like, is that supposed to make us feel like these people are okay? Like, as a kid, that's something you don't even register. But as an adult, you watch this movie, you're like, is that okay? (laughs) Is that that fine? I don't know. I I think it's still problematic. But not only that. If you were to go on with this movie, because Fagin tries to bet the butler on the winner of a wrestling match that's on television, he, he ends up losing because, again, Fagin is a bad gambler. Yeah. So Fagin, even though you're like, oh, everything's fine now, if we fast forward six months later, Fagin's going to be back in the same shit again. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, Fagin, in their minds, Fagin saved Jenny, right? But in reality... Jenny wouldn't have been in that situation if it weren't for Fagin in the first place. Trying to ransom her cat. I'm sure you didn't tell them that you were the one, Fagin, that ransomed Oliver. Or attempted to. Oh, definitely did not. So, yeah. This is really all your fucking fault to begin with. But hey, we're all friends now. And da 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 And like, I would imagine Fagin, despite all of that, was disappointed at the end of the interaction. Because he's like, hey, I saved your daughter. And, like, I'm still homeless. You want to, like, help me out, maybe? You want to fix up my boat? No. <laughs> okay. It's like, mm. 
want to get me some like actual housing no okay thanks so it it's essentially trying to tell us that like oh fagin's happy being a little vagabond who has a gambling addiction and <laughs> or you know give, give me a job maybe with your company right like nothing he's still a very shystery homeless guy with a bunch of stray dogs and jenny's like oh we're all gonna be friends forever but like these dogs are all still homeless and like you wait maybe want to help them get adopted jenny or your parents i mean we shouldn't put that on jenny she's a child but like maybe you know your parents maybe want to save these hero dogs that saved your child no no, no you don't want to do no, that no. okay Okay, bye. And then they go off singing, Why Should I Worry? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and everything's happy. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're forgetting a part. What are we forgetting? We're forgetting that now Georgette is in love with Tito. Oh, my God. It's so sad. She tries to put him in a sailor suit. Which, what is the thing with women trying to put men in sailor suits? That also happened in The Longest Yard. It did. Since we mentioned Longest Yard before. It's like, what? what is the appeal of a sailor suit? <laughs> I don't get it. A man in uniform? I don't know. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, it essentially ends on a happy ending, but one that we shouldn't really think about too extensively <laughs> because it will hurt. But yeah, it, it, Oliver's with Jenny. Dodger and the other doggies go off and continue to live their New York City vagabond life with city savoir faire. And all is well. And Dodger's like, we'll, we'll always be friends. You can be a part of the gang. Uptown chapter. <laughs> and it's like, okay, are you actually going to see this cat ever again? Mm. Uh, well, Oliver's secretly robbing the rich and giving to the poor. No, 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 dear. Mm. That's Robin Hood. Robin Hood's a fox, so he would be a dog, not a cat. It's true. He's more dog than cat. But, mm. but Oliver could be that he's the uptown chapter as he said he's stealing ah, from the rich would you say that oliver or jenny rather is an uptown girl i could say that yes ah, billy joel joke ah. <laughs> i don't know why billy joel never thought to like do another like acting role nothing like crazy but like he did good in this i feel yeah. like he was really cute oh I, I think he did the cool dog thing very well i, I just think he he may have not enjoyed this as much as he enjoyed like touring and making music and True. I mean, clearly the guy enjoys touring and doing concerts and stuff. He's still banging them out, so <laughs> Yeah, he he performs in Madison Square Garden, I think what, twice a month still? Hmm. Well, uh that was Oliver and Company. It was. I would say it's an underrated Disney film for yeah. sure. It's, it's definitely got problems, but Yeah, it, it's got some rough edges. It's it's a good fun movie for the most part it, i think it's a decent adaptation of the source material of oliver no one gets bludgeoned to death though that's always a good thing that is a good thing Ex unless you count sykes who gets bludgeoned to death by but a subway car technically th that this yeah it could count as being bludgeoned to death if you haven't seen it in a long time it's the fun little rewatch i gave it four out of five i i still enjoy the music it's a cute fun enjoyable movie i find it odd that even though i'm like the disney nerd you seem to be hyping up a lot of these disney movies more than me almost even which is not a bad thing i'm just it's it's funny well it's, i think it's the ones we've picked so far are ones i enjoyed as a child for the most part mm -hmm. and i haven't seen them some of them in 15 16 years right i gave oliver and company three and a half out of five stars i think it's a solid and underrated disney film i think i have a sweet spot for it because puppies and kitties and also <laughs> just being a new yorker i i think i have a soft spot but also i i really think while the story is relatively simple i think the songs are really what makes the movie underrated because i feel like people generally speaking will kind of brush this movie off as being like and eh, whatever and not recognize fully how much the songs really slap so next week scott is actually get this guys scott is going to be showing me a musical i, I kind of get strong in the arm into showing you this musical oh, well 
Well, I mean, it's a first of all, it's a movie musical that you've seen that I haven't, which I think is already kind of an insane notion. But it is a movie that I've always wanted to check out. So I was like, let's do it. And we are actually also going to have a pretty special guest on with us Indeed. to talk about this movie coming up next week. Yes, we're get, bringing him on for vengeance. I'm, I'm really excited about it. So uh, stay tuned for that. But until next week, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Twist. Oh, wait, no. Oh, no. Scotty Twist. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our musical, lyrical movie adventure because why should we worry why should we care we may not have a dime <laughs> no but we got street savoir faire motherfucker <laughs>